We're going to be in John chapter 9 this morning, uh, and as you turn there, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about myself. As Jake said, I'm Elijah Bueller um, from Rushville, Indiana, uh, born and raised there on the family farm, and always been a part of the church, and um, as he said, just graduated, which is crazy because I feel like I've been in school forever, but <laughs> it's finally done. Yeah, I'm excited and um, actually, Jim Spinai is going to give me an opportunity to, to teach some classes this fall and stay connected with the ministry, so super excited about that, and uh, as Jake was saying, lots of travel, <laughs> going from to Portsmouth, Ohio, to Glencoe, to Kentucky, to all over the place, but it was all very much uh, worth it, and uh, I appreciate the Sunshine School of Evangelism and all that they do, because, you know, they're not your typical Bible college. Um, you know, they're, they're small, uh, but they're mighty, you know, and, uh, you know, we're not there to just give someone a piece of paper. Uh, we're here to teach people about God's Word and what God expects of us, especially as evangelists. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for them guys. And uh, one kind of joke I've been making that I said, once I graduate and I get that piece of paper in my hand, my preaching's going to get to a whole nother level, right? <laughs> As many kind of think it tends to be. So, uh, but it, I'm sure that it's probably going to be about the same. <laughs> the piece of paper doesn't make the difference. It's, it's the guys who are doing the teaching. Those are the guys that have made the difference and guys who are willing to stand on the word. And they've been a, a huge inspiration for me and uh, going forward. And, and I hope that today, you know, I can give you a little bit of that inspiration from God's word and encouragement. And hopefully you'll be challenged today. So in John chapter 9, it's a pretty uh, famous account. A lot of times we kind of hear about this in like Sunday school class. Uh, but I wanted to, to preach through it this morning. And starting in verse 1. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Okay? And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who has sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for uh, this day that you've given us, this first day of the week that we can be gathered as, as your church, as your body. Lord, that you've equipped us with your word, with the sword of the spirit, and with all the things that are necessary for uh, this Christian life, that we can stand for your truth, that we can stand for your word, that we can stand for you. Because Lord, you stood for us when we didn't deserve it, Lord, when we were uh, blind, when we were hopeless and helpless, but Lord, you took the steps to make us see. Lord, I pray that we would realize the great privilege it is to see and that we would take this light and this word that you've given us into this lost and dying world. And I just pray that in all things, we would bring glory and honor to you in everything that we say, do, and think. It's in your son's name I pray these things. Amen. So, this is the famous account of the man who was born blind, okay? Now, life of a blind man in Jesus' time was a lot different than what we might see blind people today. Even though it's still very difficult today to be a blind person, it wasn't as hard as it was back then. You know, you know today a blind person, it, it's challenging, but you can still have a pretty good life. I mean, you look at guys like Ray Charles. Look at guys like uh, Stevie Wonder. 
or you know, there's famous scientists, famous artists, fa- famous even government officials who have been blind, or at least partially blind. And so that shows how far um, our cultures and societies have come into helping these people to have a, a pretty good life, even though they are greatly afflicted by their blindness. I mean, you can even see blind people caring for themselves, going down the streets with their canes, and they're able to navigate through life. It's challenging, but they can still do it. Um, but back in Jesus' time, there was really only one option that you had. It was to sit and to beg. Okay? There wasn't anybody that was going to hire you for a job. There wasn't anybody who was going to help take care of you other than maybe some family, but all they could do to help support you, for you to kind of pull your weight in the family, was to sit on the corner or sit near the temple or some kind of high traffic area where people will be coming and to beg for some mercy. That's all you could do. Alms, alms, please you know, give, give me just a little bit of something to, to eat today. Because I have no way to make money. I have no way to make a living. I have no way to, to keep a house. Totally helpless. Totally hopeless. Nothing they're able to do about their blindness. And we must realize that as we're going to go through this account here, I want you to picture yourself as this blind man. As we go through this account, imagine you being in the shoes of the blind man. Okay? So we start here. We have the blind man. He's sitting there. Jesus and his disciples are going by. Right? We were once that hopeless, helpless, begging for mercy person. But the thing is, we were blind to the truth. We were unable to work, go anywhere we needed to go in total darkness. But is that where Jesus leaves us? No. As 1 Peter 2.9 says, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of what? Darkness and into His marvelous light. Whoa! That's a big change, right? We've gone from darkness, total, utter darkness, to marvelous light as God's people. As his priesthood, as Ethan's been teaching, you know, here, I'm sure he's read that verse many times. Y'all are probably really familiar as he got me really familiar when I went through the tabernacle class myself. But there's so much power in the light that God has given us. Amen? Amen. How much power, how powerful is light in the darkness? The darkness cannot overcome it. It cannot happen. You know, this is really sad. I heard of a, a church camp one time, and uh, it was a high school week of camp, and you know, this is you know, an opportunity with all these teenagers, you know, some are in the church, some are not, you have an opportunity to, to really get their minds focused on God, focused on what um, God's called them to be, you know, how do we follow the gospel, and this church camp is set, talking about God, and because God is omnipresent, that means he's everywhere, right, they say, well, that means God must be in hell too. And I thought, are you kidding me? How is God? <laughs> but all because, and they thought it was some deep theological debate. I'm like, if God is light, and there is no darkness at all, and 1 John says, God is light. He can have no part of darkness. You know, he can't be in hell. But anyways, that's where people don't realize today the power of light. If there's light, there cannot be darkness. I mean, the definition of hell is that there is no light. I mean, imagine a place where it is totally dark, where there's agony and pain and suffering. God's not there. We were on our way to that place as blind people. 
But thanks be to God, we've been called to the light. What a blessing it is that we have sight today. So in verse 2 through 3 there, we read that. It said, uh, the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, we have to realize that as people who were formerly blind, we've gone through trials, we've gone through tribulations in our life, and God uses those things for his glory, right? God allows bad things to happen so that good things can happen in your life. See, because if you can't contrast the bad and the good, you have to have that bad for it to be turned into good. Okay, and we all have tremendous potential in the kingdom of God. And from our different backgrounds, we can reap the benefits of those things. God helps us to turn those bad things that were in our life into good things. And all of us coming from different backgrounds, some of us were raised in the church, some of us were not. Some of us were raised in the country, some of us were raised in the city. Some of us from wealth, some from poor, some from high social status, so, some not so much, right? But every single one of those people have something to bring to the table to the kingdom of God. Each of us have our own personality. Each of us have our own um, way that we were brought up. And so based upon wherever you were at, those things in your life can be changed into good things. And that's what's about to happen to this man who was formerly blind. Yeah, we've all participated in different things in our life, whether they are good or bad, but they've made us into who we are today. And it's up to us to turn those bad things into the positive for the kingdom of God. Through Christ, all of these things can be transformed into good characteristics, good qualities, good attributes, abilities that are useful for God. Now, I, the one guy who I tend to think of in this situation is Jim Spinotti. I don't know if you all know Jim Spinotti or not, but he's down in Portsmouth, Ohio. He's uh, the head of the Sunshine School of Evangelism. He was formerly in the Mafia. Okay? Now, you talk about a group of bad, bad people than uh, the, the Italian Mafia. Um, you know, he had uncles who had movies made for them because they were such bad guys. All right? And, you know, he had such a, a bad upbringing, but through Christ, he has changed those things into positive things. Yeah. If you've ever met Jim Spinotti, you know that he's a, a fire, fireball from Italy, <laughs> okay? He's, he gets really excited, and he's going to stand, because in the mafia, nobody pushed him around. Nobody pushed him around. And that's beneficial for the kingdom of God because we need guys who aren't going to be pushed around for the truth. And I'll tell you, if there's one guy you can count on who ain't going to be pushed around, <laughs> Jake's not in his head, he knows. Jim Spinotti's not going to be pushed around. So you see how, you know, he took something bad from the mafia, not being pushed around, into something positive for the kingdom of God. And all of us can do this. Through our trials, the works of God are displayed. But I want us to also realize that this work that God's supposed to be doing in our life, it's not to make us comfortable. The work of God is not supposed to make us comfortable. A lot of times people say, well, God's been working in my life. That means, well, I got a good job. That means I got a nice house. That means I don't have any troubles in life. Is that the work of God? Or is that... Not so much, because as Matthew tells us many times, 
The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, all these rich, famous guys. Are we supposed to say that, oh, well, God's been working in their life because, well, they got money and power and fame and fortune? No. See, the work of God that is demonstrated in your life is a changed life. The changed life is where the works of God are demonstrated. Has your life changed? When you became a Christian, has your life changed? Are the works of God being demonstrated in your life through the fruits of the Spirit? Or other characteristics in your life? Are you using what God has given you for His kingdom? See, that's why Jesus healed the blind man. It wasn't just to perform some great miracle. It was so that the works of God would be seen in His life. And it's no wonder the, the world struggles with seeing the works of God when the people that are sitting in the pews on Sunday morning are living just like them in the rest of the world. Where's the work of God being displayed? Where's the change of life when we have people who are still socially drinking, people who are still you know, cussing around their co-workers and, and living ungodly lives, but they show up to church on Sunday morning? See, the work of God is displayed through changed life. And Jesus realized in verse 4, he says, We must work the works of him who has sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See, Jesus realized that there is limited time for the works of God to be displayed in this man's life. Jesus recognized that time is precious. And now is not a better, there's no better time than now. Right? Jesus was never too busy to do the work that he was sent to do. We shouldn't be busy, more busy either. There's never a more perfect opportunity than now for making disciples. There's never been a better time for you to be changing your life if that needs to happen. There's never been a time than now to serve God. Notice that Jesus says that we must work the works. It's not just Jesus, okay? He's talking to his disciples. He says, we have to do the work. Jesus never said, I'm going to carry the load for you guys. He said, you guys have to help too. And sadly, a lot of times today, we see people throw all the burden on the preacher to make the difference in the world when that's not his burden to bear. That's the church's burden to bear. We are supposed to be making the difference through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Jesus' disciples, who were once blind, but now able to see, we have the obligation of doing the work that the Lord has called us to do while there's still time left to do it. I mean, you all know, I, I'm sure that every single one of you have said, man, time flies. I, I mean, I don't know anybody who's not said that phrase. Man, time's just flying by. It's just, you know, I blink and time's gone. Where'd it go? That is our life. It goes by fast. We don't have much time to make sure that the work gets done for the Lord. Do we have the mindset of Jesus that while I am in the world, I am the light of the world? While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Right now. I don't have much time here. I better make the most of it. We only have a short time for the works of God to be displayed in us, not only in us, but also that we are able to reach out to others and to the lost so that the works of God can be displayed in them too. 
See, it's not just about it being displayed in us. It's about us making disciples and the work of God being displayed in them. And they make disciples and the work of God's displayed in them. There's not much time for us, guys. We've got to realize that time is short. I mean, the skies could open up tomorrow. They could open up in 30 seconds. They could open up right now. <laughs> it's important that we realize that time is short. Our friends and our family who are not in Christ, time is short for them, isn't it? Do we really realize that the people who are not in Christ are not going to make it to heaven? Do we truly realize that their souls are on the line? Imagine being in their shoes and you get to judgment day and you're condemned. But then you look across the, the way there and you see your family who was a Christian and you think, why didn't they ever tell me something about it? Why didn't they try to warn me? It's kind of a scary thought if you think about it. Time is short. Time is short. Continuing on in John 9, verse 6. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied it to, to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Boom! Washing happens and he's made able to see. Now what happens if the blind man doesn't wash? He's not going to see, right? Jesus says, I mean, very simple task here. Puts the clay on his eyes, says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I, I was actually just thinking about this this morning. I thought, how did he get there? He's blind, <laughs> you know? But the blind man doesn't, you know, make excuses for why he can't make it to the water. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he can't see. Now, maybe, you know, we don't know. Maybe he knew the streets well enough to where he could fumble his way to the, the pool of Siloam, or maybe he had somebody guide him there. We don't know. But regardless, the blind man didn't say, well, I'm blind, I can't get there. He said, yes, sir, Jesus. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. You know, it's just some guy put clay on his eyes. Go wash. And you'll be able to see. He goes and washes, and he's able to see. The sight comes with the washing. Jesus didn't go tell him to wash because he stunk and needed to take a bath. But sadly today, it's almost easier to convince a bunch of third grade boys at church camp to go take a shower than it is to tell people to be immersed for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. I mean, how hard is it to follow the commands of God? Jesus doesn't give multiple choice options. You know, behind curtain number one, pray through the prayer cloth. Behind curtain number two, Say the sinner's prayer. Behind curtain number three, just believe. Behind curtain number four, be baptized. No, that's not how he works. He says, go wash. I mean, Jesus' commands are usually pretty simple to follow. Yeah, I wish that people would realize that. Jesus does not make it hard. I mean, didn't Jesus say, take my yoke and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, come on. Jesus doesn't make it hard for us. He wants us to be with him. He makes it simple for us. All we have to do is be willing to follow. Very simple. You know, we get to this point of the story of the blind man, and a lot of times in our Christian life, we act like this is the end of the story. Okay, we're only a few verses in, but this is where we cut it off. 
Because we tell people, all right, you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We tell them that they need to repent of their sins. We tell them they need to confess Christ as Lord. We tell them we need to get baptized. And we tell them to remain faithful, but we don't tell them how that works. And then we say, that's it. They got baptized. We can put another number on the, the tote board. Right? Preacher gets to keep his job for one more week. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> the story doesn't end, does it? Not for the blind man, it doesn't. With his washing. And this is dangerous thinking for us to think, once we get people in the water, whoo, it's good. We're all okay. Because Jesus doesn't say, be baptized, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says in Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death and then I will give you the crown of life. See, the, the washing, even though it's a critical point in our salvation, it's not the end of the story. Christians cannot act like we're once baptized, always baptized. Okay? We're not once saved, always saved. See, there is that faithfulness that has to come. And that's not even just showing up to the church building on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek. The works of God have to be displayed in our life through the changed life. Now in verse 8, this is where things start to get really good. Okay, Because we're going to see as soon as he's washed, here comes trouble in River City. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day on which... On a, when the day that Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again, how did he receive his sight? And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, this, is the man, or, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such great signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Okay? So trouble comes for this guy. Jesus has disappeared. You know, he healed him and went on his way. The blind man comes back seeing, and everybody's made a big ruckus about what's going on. Okay? And when you are immersed, you need to realize that there's a target that has been painted on your back. You know, I often wonder if maybe we should get some, like, spray paint or something. And every time someone gets baptized, just put a target on their back. So that they can maybe get the picture and realize that your number one supporter in Satan has now become your number one enemy. I mean, do we realize that? Like, Satan was on your side until you got in that water. Now he's against you. Now he's coming for you. Now he's got to take you down. Because he had you previously. Now he's got to get you back. He's going to try to knock you down however he can. He's going to hit you from multiple angles, all kinds of things in your life. He's going to try to bring against you. When you come home, divisions may occur. Some will see the change in your life. Some will say, well, that's not possible. You can't change. 
You can't change. But isn't the change from being a sinner to a saint just as powerful as being from being blind to being able to made, be made see? Isn't that just as powerful? I mean, he received his sight. Spiritually, we've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. This change is so powerful that people can't even recognize him as the beggar. Powerful change. Powerful change. Many people do not believe that this kind of change is possible. Not even some who are in the church are willing to believe that you can change from being the blind, helpless sinner to the holy, righteous saint that you all are. You are. You are holy. You are righteous. You are a saint in the kingdom of God. That has to be your mindset. Because I want you to notice, it says he's a former blind man now. Can he be a blind man and a former blind man at the same time? No, it's not possible. In the same way, you cannot still be a sinner and a saint at the same time. It's not possible. It's not possible. Because as we're going to read here later on, God does not hear the prayer of sinners. So I want you to consider for yourself, if you consider yourself a sinner, is God hearing your prayers? Or if you believe that God has made you into the saint that he's called you to be, that he's going to hear your prayers. I mean, I think you all have heard that. If you went through the tabernacle, I think Ethan talked about that subject, right? Okay, it's important that we realize that we are in Christ, that there is power in the working of God. See, the power is not in us. The power is in God. And he's put that power in through the Holy Spirit into your life. Man, it's not about our power. It's about God working through us. We've got to realize that God is powerful. God is powerful. And sadly, all kinds of people will turn against you because of the change you've made in your life. Those whom this guy knew his whole life, his friends, his family, the people who saw him on the streets every day, the leaders of the, the religious society at the time, the Pharisees. It's causing divisions even among the Pharisees. I mean, all kinds of bad things start happening. And this guy's kind of just stuck in the middle of all of it. Everybody's arguing. Can this be the same man? Can this not be the same man? You know, we can't believe what's going on. They would not believe him. And they begin to even question if this healing could come from God. Causing even more division, okay? Divisions and divisions and divisions. And we shouldn't be surprised, because I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10 really quick. Verse 34. I think a lot of times we glaze over these kind of verses and we don't realize what's actually happening. Matthew 10, verse 34. It says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came and set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. 
Jesus didn't say that it was going to be a picnic. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. That there will be fathers who are divided against their sons. There will be mothers divided against their daughters. There will be in-laws divided against each other, which that, we all knew that one. But <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's too easy. But in all seriousness, Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Is your relationship with the people of this world more important than your relationship with God? This guy had to take a stand, didn't he? As we're about to read. Get back in John 9, verse 18. It says, The Jews then did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight, and questioned them, saying, Is this not your son, whom you say was born blind? Then how does he see? And his parents answered and said, we, do not know that this, or, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, and for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Man, mom and dad ain't even got your back. This guy was born blind, now is able to see. His parents say, well, we don't, want, we don't want to get involved here. I mean, they're not over there congratulating their son. They're not excited for him. Hey, you've received your sight. I mean, wouldn't you think your parents would be just thrilled about that? They say, oh, 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 because oh, they don't want to face the cultural pressure. That's against their son. When it comes to denominations, we're divided. Denominations in the church. When it comes to the sinners of the world, we're divided. And sadly, even against our own families. Division. Man, this is starting to look bleak. I know that this is, but hold on. It's going to get there, okay? But this is the truth, though. We have to realize these facts about Christianity. That this can happen to us. As this blind man is having it happen to him. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for the fellowship that we have, the encouragement that we can give to one another, but we must realize that there will be times we have to stand alone. There are times. I mean, I've, I've had to fight them in, in my short life. I'm sure many of you have had to, to fight them in your lives where you've had to stand alone for what's right. You've had to stand alone for God's Word. Jesus Himself had to stand alone, right? Shouldn't we expect to have to face the same thing? Stephen, the first martyr, he had to stand alone for God. Paul had to stand alone. We shouldn't be surprised when there's times where we get in a situation where you're the one that's got to stand. There will be those in your life who will try to mess it up, who will try to cause you to go astray, try to mess up the church by bringing in false doctrine and causing divisions amongst one another. This can even happen by the members in our own congregations. Okay? We must be ready for this. We must be ready that no matter what, we're going to stand for what's right. We're going to stand for truth. We're not going to back down or give up any ground. No matter who's against us, no matter what anybody in the brotherhood says, no matter what, because the Lord is fighting for truth. And if we stand for truth, He's fighting for us. 
We're not going to kowtow to anyone except the Lord because He is our King. He is our Shepherd. He is our Lord because He is the one who died for us. He is the one who bought us. He is the one who enlightened our eyes that we may see and has given us new life abundantly. Isn't He worth the fight? Isn't He worth standing for? He stood for you. Are you going to stand for Him? And that's what this blind man realized, that heaven is worth the fight. It's worth the fight. It was worth it to the blind man because he cannot help but tell the truth. How can he deny it? I can see. He can see. He can't lie about that. I mean, I mean how could he? Uh, he can walk around. He can see the things that he once couldn't. He can't help tell the truth. And so that's where we come here to verse 24. He had to speak the truth boldly. So a second time he, they called the man who had been blind and said, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Woohoo! Okay. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, this is talking about Jesus, right? Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you not want to become his disciples too, do you? He starts putting it to them. <laughs> and they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. Oh, they're so special, high and mighty, right? Okay. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and doing his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man is not from God, he could do nothing. Boy, starts laying it to him. I like this guy. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing because this shows the transformation that this guy has already gone through in the short time that he's been made able to see. Because here's a literal nobody at the bottom of the cultural food chain, right? He's at the bottom. Nobody cares about this guy. But yet he's going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the religious leaders at the time, the men who have the ability to kick him out of the synagogues. This nobody or sinner, as they were trying to claim, lays out this great argument. It says, God does not hear sinners. We all know that. The Pharisees knew that. That's an Old Testament principle. We find that in Isaiah. God does not hear sinners. We know that. Only the obedient believers. Second, this has never happened before. Okay, that should tell you something. In all the history of time, this has never happened before. And three, you cannot do this miracle without the power of God. I mean, he puts it out there just plainly. Three facts. Doesn't hear sinners. It's never happened before. You've got to have the power of God. So how can this man, Jesus, be a sinner? How can this man not be sent from God? This guy, the blind man, was not afraid to fight the fight. And he could have the confidence because there's no doubt in his mind that he can see. He cannot deny it. And the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That He came, that He died, that He was buried, that He resurrected and ascended and is sitting at the right hand of God cannot be denied 
by those who have been washed as the blind man was washed. Do we believe it? Are we truly his disciples? Because if you are his disciple, you can't believe it. It's the undeniable truth. That's why he was able to take a stand on the truth, because it's the truth. But we see how our culture wants to tear down truth, because as soon as you get truth, all is game. All is fair. But we know what the truth is through God's word. He's provided it for us. Our, our confidence in the truth of the gospel is what will give us the boldness to speak the truth even we, when we are all by ourselves. Even if it means being rejected by everyone that we know. That leads us to verse 34. They answered him, You were born entirely in your sins and you are teaching us. So they put him out. Man, as if this guy had nothing else left. Okay, this poor guy's just been beaten to death all because he was made able to see. They don't even address his arguments. They don't try to, you know, go against his arguments. Um, they just slander him and kick him out. Because that's what happens with the truth. If you got the truth on your side, there's nobody can say anything against you. And so they'll just badmouth you, kick you out, say, we don't want anything to do with you, you know, because you are going to mess up everything that we got going on here in our little circle. It's because they really can't handle the truth. Being put out, I want us to realize being put out of the synagogue is a big deal in Jewish culture. This could mean that you would um, be excommunicated from the people. This means that you could be viewed as a heretic, possibly shunned, lose your family, lose your job, lose your friends, lose everyone if you were kicked out of the synagogue. Being able to be at the synagogue was everything to the Jews. If you weren't allowed in the synagogue, you were a bad person. We ain't going to do anything with you. That's what this guy was up against. And he's put out. So he has nothing. And many in the church fall at this point here. Because they think that they could have had all the things. They could have had the nice job. They could have had the nice friends. They could have had their family. Could have had peace with everybody through Christ. But that's not what he's promised us. What he's promised us is if we stand for the truth, he's going to reward us in the end. And we also need to realize that, you know, we may feel like we're in this battle alone, but we're really not. Okay? We're really not. Look at the people in this room right here. These people are fighting the fight with you. Even if you do find yourself in a situation where you're alone, think about the people who would be behind you if they were there. We got the church. This is our family here. This is what matters right here. Are we willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ? Are we willing to make an effort to save those people who are outside of Christ? This is the price of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That there will be times you lose friends, lose your family, be blackballed, be slandered for the name of Jesus Christ, even amongst our own brethren at times. But we must be ready. We must be ready. Because we look at, now we read the story, and we get to this point and we think, man, I don't want to be that guy. Man, he stood for truth. Look what happened to him. He's been kicked out. He's got nothing left. But Jesus doesn't leave him hanging, does he? 
In verse 35, Jesus heard that he had, they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who may see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. See, this story, as we're coming to a close, is about Jesus. How he came into our lives when we were blind and made us able to see. But he's coming back again. See, the first time Jesus comes to save us, the second time Jesus is going to come in the clouds to vindicate us. In the end, he's going to be right. And he comes to the blind man, he says, You are right. Notice that this is really cool. Throughout this whole account, this blind man was basing everything he went on by faith. He never saw Jesus. After he was made able to see, he never saw him. Didn't hear from him, nothing. In the same way, when we believe in Jesus Christ, and we have his word, and we follow what it says, this is what we got. We're basing everything upon faith, that Jesus is going to be there to vindicate us. This guy never saw Jesus. He heard the word of the Lord. He did what was commanded of the Lord. And then he was healed by faith from what Jesus told him. Man, that, that's exactly us. I mean, that's us. We hear the word of the Lord. We do what's commanded from the Lord. And we're healed by faith. And we wait for the Son of Man to come as we do his work. And you know, of course, as we've said in here, this wasn't the end for the blind man. He had to endure more trials. He had to endure persecution simply because he was once blind and now able to see. That's the only reason why people didn't like him. Think about that. All because he was made able to see. And this is the reason they fought so hard against him. Because his life was proof that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what the good fight is all about. That if we have been washed, being healed from our blindness, our life is a testament that Jesus is the Christ. Because the change of life, the work of God being displayed through your changed character, your changed person, who you are, cannot be replicated by anything in this world other than through Christ. I mean, have you ever wondered why people are so against the church today? And why can't they just... You know, leave us alone and you know, let us go our own way. Why? Because they are in opposition to us. When we simply stand for Christ, the world will feel the pressure from that because they see that through us, Jesus is real. But they don't want to believe it. And that's where these Pharisees were at, that they could see the results of the works of God through this man's life. But they chose to remain blind to the truth that Jesus was from God, and thus they remained in their sins. And that's what Jesus talks about there, that their sin still remained, because they refused to see the truth. When Jesus returns, those who have chosen to be free from their blindness by following him will be justified, while the rest of the world will be judged, because they chose to remain blind. Jesus is coming back, amen? amen. 
He will vindicate us to the entire world. Amen? Amen? If we stand for Him, He will stand for us. We will win. Isn't that something to be excited about? Woo! Woo! Yeah. Even though the blind man had to fight through persecution, he had to fight through betrayal, and he even had to do it alone for a time, he was vindicated in the end. And I bet you he was a powerhouse for Jesus Christ, wasn't he, after that? Let's not live as a blind man does, walking in darkness. Let's live in the light as the former blind man has lived in the light. Let's fight the good fight as the former blind man did. Let's take this message of light and freedom and hope to this lost and dying world. Amen. Thank you.